0: Anything we can be doing for our health and well being, both uh, physical and mental health, is to pri- really prioritize this foundation of sleep. Really, what we're looking to do is to kind of create the the environment that was just naturally present to us for thousands of years and really hunter-gatherer days. Sleep is a skill in our modern society. I certainly didn't know this when I couldn't sleep, that our circadian rhythm exists on a spectrum and that you can either have a weak circadian rhythm or a strong circadian rhythm.
1: Weak circadian rhythm means like you're not that in sync with the sun.
0: One of the most impactful ways to improve our sleep quality is to become very, very connected to this light topic. Even our organs need to have times to sleep, which is an interesting phenomenon. How do we bring this back really to the basics of our sleep as it relates to uh, how we were when we were, you know, hunter-gatherer days?
1: Today's guest is Mai McLaughlin. Molly is the founder of Sleep is a Skill, a company that helps people optimize sleep. She also has an excellent podcast. And I've gotten into this topic of sleep this year because... From all of these different angles, uh, actually from different guests we've had on the podcast, whether it's speaking about strength or the psychology of violence or libido and sexual energy or longevity, this topic of sleep keeps coming up. Quite a few guests have mentioned how important sleep is um, for all of these things, reaction time, sports performance, mental performance, all all of this, right? Affects your hormones, affects testosterone, which is something we speak about quite a bit on this podcast. So I had to know more about sleep. I've known Molly for a few years. I knew she had this uh, company and this podcast, so I started checking it out. And I had no idea there was so much to know about sleep, which is why I wanted to have her on the podcast to see if we could uh, boil this down and take some of her knowledge. And I, you know, I mean, she's done a lot of research for all of us who want to know how to sleep better, um, but maybe don't want to spend all that time. Um, but fun fact, I've known Molly for quite a few years. Um, her fiance, Blake Eastman, was one of my very first podcast guests like six or seven years ago. If you go all the way back into my archives in the podcast, however you listen to the show, um, and uh, look at some of the negative episodes, those negative episodes are from my old podcast, Questions for People. That was before I had the Rwanda podcast. I thought it was a fun name, Questions for People, but it wasn't good for branding, (laughs) so we changed the name. But um, it was one of my very first episodes, so I probably sound pretty nervous in those episodes, but it was a fun one. Um, But I also know Molly because um, her and Blake ran uh, an event space in New York City, where Blake would hold his nonverbal classes, also poker classes, and Molly helped run that uh, space. And in that space, I actually held my very first uh, men's event, the Mask and Underground Symposium, which was recorded um, and. Uh, that's the name of my Facebook group as well because of that event. So I've known Molly for quite a few years, and um, when she started this company on sleep a couple of years ago, started following it, and only recently am I really appreciating the wealth of knowledge in sleep because it affects so many things, and so many things that we speak about here on the podcast. Uh, one that it boils down to is the optimization of, or I should say, um, uh, yeah, optimization of the production of testosterone, which affects so many things that affect our masculinity, obviously, uh, on the physiological level. Now, on the psychological level, um, if you do want to explore your testosterone expression, um, you can check out the Mask and Archetype um, Challenge. It's the program that I have uh, available on my website. It is a 21-day program with 21 missions and 21 lessons um, designed to help heighten your mask and archetype, which is the expression of testosterone in your psyche or in your life. Um, one of the things that we take advantage of is the winter effect, which is a psychological phenomenon or a hormonal phenomenon, actually, uh, where your actions can actually spike testosterone and the production of androgen receptors in your nervous system. Uh, if you want to check that out, you can go to ruandocom slash archetype. And if you want to learn more about sleep as a skill, uh, you can go to sleepasaskill.com and I highly recommend Molly's podcast if you want to binge more on uh, specific sleep topics that we couldn't get into in this episode Um, But right now, you're listening to episode 099. This is the 99th episode, 99th interview of the Rwando podcast. And we have Molly McLaughlin from Sleep is a Skill. The Rwando podcast is an exploration of the unconscious and the game of life. Be sure to visit Rwando.com to get a preview chapter of my upcoming book, Infinite Play, and free access to my content library. Enjoy the show. All right, Molly McLaughlin, we did it.
0: We did it across the world, across time zones.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Uh, last time I saw you was about a year ago, right? Uh, Was it in Chiang Mai? Or about a year ago, you were in Chiang Mai.
0: Yes, exactly. Um, We were in uh, Chiang Mai around I'm going to say like November, September, November-ish. Yeah. Yeah, okay. really so you nice. missed the
1: cold weather. I, I'm all bundled up for our one yeah. cold month.
0: <laughs> yes, I totally get that. Well, I'm in Vegas for like the one cold month at the moment, so I feel you. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I've been very dramatic about it. There's blankets, there's all kinds of things, so I yeah. hear and it. and you're
1: in your red room, which we're going to talk about. Or, uh, I yes, guess you we have, are. Uh, going on.
0: Mm-hmm, absolutely.
1: Cool. so uh, I think I saw that you're doing something with sleep a while ago. I must have been on Instagram, and I was like, oh, that's cool. I mean, there's probably a lot of people people with insomnia or something and but I didn't think it applied to me at first because I was like I sleep fine I mean I don't think about it much but this year sleep has come up so many times like I had a podcast guest who came on uh, speaking about violence and he was saying like the best thing cops could do is get better sleep and then I had a strength coach on and said the best thing for your testosterone is get sleep better sleep and like sleep 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 keeps popping up Um, so I, I, I finally started listening to your podcast and I had to I had to find out because it seems to be the one thing that I haven't paid attention to in my life. Um, So super excited to have you here.
0: Ah, awesome. Well, I love that um, through that kind of interesting path, you've come to this place of exploring sleep, which I think is a really cool place to begin. Um, And I can share in that story with you, because for me, sleep was not a focus at all in my life for many, many years. It's part of the story and part of the creation of sleep as a skill is that for a big chunk of my life, I was doing all the things really not to do for your sleep. Uh, You know, time and time again, going to bed pretty much as the sun was rising, had a lot of labels for myself around sleep. I thought I was a night owl, a short sleeper, a bad sleeper, a, all of these sort of things, but just like label rich. Right. And, Mm -hmm. but I still didn't think it was a big thing in my life of all the things to be, conscious of. It wasn't that until I went through a period of insomnia while traveling internationally. And that was suddenly my levels of stress and anxiety and all that really manifested by not sleeping. And it was not until that point that I had a whole newfound relationship to sleep and understanding of what life looks like when you are not able, or you have an experience where you cannot control your sleep in the same way you might think of your ability to, you know, just naturally do it. And, Uh, So now having gone through that and then seeing the other side of, you know, now having sleep that I had never thought was possible for me, of such consistency and length of sleep and normalcy to my sleep and all of those sort of things that my life looks and feels so different. So I'm very uh, (laughs) shouted from the rooftops about the difference. And, um, but I think where you're standing is a fantastic place to begin because suddenly it's looking newly at this thing that had just seemed like banal for so long.
1: Yeah. So for you, was the catalyst? It was uh, traveling and, like, I guess time zone changes.
0: It definitely was. That was, um, I think the straw that broke the camel's back, but really what was there. And I think what happens for a lot of people when they are struggling with their sleep is, um, certainly not coming out of a vacuum, like, Oh, life is great. And then suddenly I just can't sleep. Often it's things that we're doing that are kind of a mismanagement of our lives, of our stress levels of a number of things. And so for me in my example, uh, was living in the middle of Manhattan, kind of just like burning the candle both ends in the cliche kind of entrepreneurial way, um, riding the waves of the financial insecurities around entrepreneurship, the ups, the downs, all around. And my stress, how it was really manifesting was I began to be going to bed later. Um, I was getting sick more often. I wasn't kind of connecting all of these things that just my well-being, my health and well-being was really um, floundering to say the least. And, and then it was not until that tipping point. Um, when I went, when I was, began traveling and then really bringing the time zone changes into the mix, which I hadn't had a ton of experience with up until that point. Um, and then just having, you know, days on, on end of really just this inability to sleep, just the laying there, laying there. And this continued for, with, you know, at levels of different, differing levels of severity, um, for months until the, and the, the big element of this was that we were, my, um, uh, boyfriend and I were actually setting up to travel for quite some time. The plan was okay. Like no return ticket. Like this is the, this is what's happening. Telling all of these people about it. This is the plan. And actually having to return early because of this sleep problem, um, so it was uh-huh. that big of a I deal. you told
1: me you you stopped your travels soon. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't ask why. <laughs> back to right. Minute. Well,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, because it's sort of an uncommon thing. Wait, what? You couldn't sleep, so that's why you stopped traveling. Uh, and it was a scary thing at the time because I was I was actually in this thing. because when you're in it, looking back, I can see you know it was one of the best things that ever happened to me. It's such a um, you know kind of uh, the irony. there's such a wake up call when you can't. Sleep Sleep because I had to really change so much about my life to um, restore homeostasis and workability, but it really took getting to that point, and um, I'm so grateful. On the other side of it, really, it's it was. But yeah, it was it was a wild ride, honestly.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, I, I didn't think much about sleep until recently. So yes. I was like, wow, sure. so many things affect sleep, and sleep affects so many things. It's like this one like linchpin between it's like yeah it's like the one thing to focus on if you want to go across the board and improve things
0: absolutely yeah and I um and I make it's almost kind of a controversial becoming less controversial, but so still somewhat controversial uh, stance. That I really truly believe that out of anything we can be doing for our health and well-being, both uh, physical and mental health, is to pri- really prioritize this foundation of sleep in our lives and starting there. And then from there, because you know many of us were we go into the New Year's and we we join the gym, we get the nutritionists, we do these things around health and well-being, we take Epsom salt baths, we whatever we do for well-being. And yet sleep has not been in the uh, mainstream to be something that, yes, I'm going to transform this this year or what have you with that same type of energy. And what's really interesting from a, um, uh, from a results perspective is that, when we do have that suffering of sleeps, it's so insidious and in it's effects of all those other things that we're saying we want to take on, whether it's, uh, you know, to, to lose weight, you know, it's going to affect glucose levels, for instance, of one element of the many things that it will impact if you have, um, insufficient sleep. So those, the glucose levels will go up and it makes it more challenging for us to maintain consistent, um, patterns of our blood sugar. Uh, if we are looking to build muscles, it's going to impact that testosterone, like you spoke to. Uh, so, and then just a, from a motivation perspective, when we are sleep deprived, one of the first things that does tend to get cut is that early morning trip to the gym or, you know, the, the mindfulness that we might have around the food choices that we're going to make those often can go out the window. And those are kind of smaller examples. Um, but you know, certainly compounded that can create a whole different type of life. And then there's many, many long-term, um, uh, you know, effects that this can have from a physiological perspective, but then also of course, a psychological perspective, uh, and adding to levels of stress and anxiety, inflammation, uh, from a biometric uh, standpoint, a raising of uh, heart rate, a lowering of HRV, uh, often, um, instability and thermoregulation, just a number of things that kind of go awry if we don't pay attention to this area.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, um, Colonel Grossman, who's the guy who was uh, on speaking about violence, he was saying that if you miss a night of sleep, you're legally drunk the next day in terms of like coordination impairment. I was like, whoa, okay. I mean, I've never thought of that on the nights that I've pulled all-nighters, but I guess maybe I could have seen that in the way I was driving or something like that. It was kind of a big deal, like
0: kind of definitely totally kind of a big deal for sure. And just, uh, the choices that we're going to make, how we're going to show up, how we're going to be with people from an interpersonal perspective. Um, but then from a results perspective, you know, certain studies looking at people's, uh, responses to certain questionnaires after a night of sleep deprivation, uh, you know, the, their, their error rate tends to go up. And then certainly this from a safety perspective can come about with, driving with pilots, with, um, you know, just any sort of interaction that could be heavy machinery, all of that. Um, but then just on our day-to-day stuff, even for the remote workers from home, uh, your cognitive abilities, your productivity, I'll have certain, uh, clients. I tend to attract a lot of, um, sort of like biohackers or tech heavy people. And so they'll come out with all their stats of showing when they link up their poor nights of sleep with the aura ring or the whoop or bio strap or dream or whatever they might be tracking with. And then some of their uh, time trackers, just insufficient uh, work results and work quality on following nights after sleep deprivation. So, you know, just lots of little, um, experiences of how this could, Uh, one, have uh, some negative results in our life, but then on the flip side of it, all the positive results that can come when we do really normalize and um, optimize for this area.
1: Yeah. And so I want to ask you about the trackers because I was very resistant. I mean, I have one now, but I was very resistant because I I guess I romanticized not using technology and stuff, but I've already been wearing it for like three weeks or something. And I've recognized like Things I never really thought of like, I found out smoking pot is terrible for my sleep, even though it makes me fall asleep. Like My sleep scores 10 points less <laughs> um, yes. on nights that I do it. It's like, I, I mean, I guess I could have thought of that. I do wake up tired. Um, but actually, I mean, one thing I was wondering is how much can, I mean, the score that these different devices give, have you found that it, it really is consistent between devices? Can, can sleep really be quantified?
0: Yeah. Great question. Um, and so that's the unfortunate truth is if you are tracking, and I really do have some of these clients that will be tracking and I've been one of them by the way. Uh, but, uh, but certainly people that have been tracking on four or five different devices a- across the course of a night, um, and then seeing certainly things that just do not align. Um, so, but they're coming from within the standpoint that, Right now, um, you know, in 2020 and beyond, or at least certainly in 2020 at the moment, the gold standard is the polysonogram for sleep. Uh now, any of the trackers that are really on the market at the moment certainly do not from a particularly sleep stages perspective. So when any of these trackers that are on the hand or the wrist um are saying, you know, deep sleep, light sleep, rem sleep, all this stuff, um, it's their best guess. So they're out of their algorithm of some of the things that we tend to know about are indicative of those stages. Um, but which is very different than the polysonogram and then being able to look at brainwave states and understand it's, they're pretty distinct, um, at least for understanding right now. So So what I tell clients is to not pay too, too much attention, honestly, right now to the sleep stages, because some of them, I mean, when they've been compared in studies, it's like a coin toss of their ability to tell these sleep stages. But that doesn't mean that they are not useful. And what I mean by that is that um, some of the more advanced sleep trackers, what they tend to be pretty good at, and most of the trackers tend to be pretty good at, is knowing, are you asleep or are you awake? So they tend to get that pretty dialed in for the most part. Um, so, So one, it can be helpful with knowing of kind of just some of our basic stats of how much sleep are we getting? the times and the consistency of that sleep, how many wake-ups are we having. Um, but then what I like is to look at some of these other trackers where they'll be pulling in some of your biometrics around your overall health and how your body is performing while you're sleeping. Cause that can give us some insight too around the quality of sleep. So if it's pulling um, your HRV and uh, what your HRV is looking like throughout the course of the night and for people that are not familiar with HRV, it's heart rate variability and just the, the time between Uh, heartbeats and essentially we're uh, it's are currently one of our gold standard readouts of the autonomic nervous system and kind of understanding the stress level of the body um, you know which can be a number of things not just mental stress but the physical stress um, environmental stress if you got mold in your space if it's you know dusty uh, or but from a Physiological perspective: Have you been working out a ton? Is your body kind of, you know, worn down a bit? Are you getting sick? Um, are you eating certain foods that are not agreeing with your body, and then your HRV is going down as a result? Um, a number of things, and and it's a really advanced, um, complicated metric. Like you could take entire courses just on HRV. So I'm kind of simplifying some of it. It's not always you know, down is bad, quote unquote, or up is good, quote unquote, it, there's more. There's certainly more nuances. Um, but so when you see some of like that readout, that can be really helpful for understanding the, the quality of our sleep and our health, as well as our heart rate throughout the course of the night and what that um, arc looks like. Uh, additionally, when we have some of the trackers that will pull temperature, uh, thermal regulation is really Intimately connected with the quality of our sleep and our ability to get our um, body temperature at a nice low point throughout the course of the night, particularly of course to uh, lead into deep sleep. And deep sleep is where we're going to benefit from things like growth hormone. If we're talking about you know uh, weightlifting or just you know in general um, being able to heal, and, and if we're looking at testosterone levels, that tends to be that first half of the night in the deep sleep period. Um, so, so if you're connected to that temperature element that can be really helpful also for women, um, not only are we mindful of circadian rhythm, but we're mindful of, uh, infradian rhythm. So, cause we have uh, a few we have this extra rhythm to be aware of, which is about a 28-day cycle. And throughout the course of that, there might be entire times, um, you know, so when we're going through, for instance, and this is for women of menstruating age uh, that are going through luteal phase, then we tend to see our body temperature up and elevated throughout the course of the time. If you don't, If you're not aware of that, then you might be concerned. Am I getting sick? Is there something wrong with my sleep, my environment? But when we're tuned into our rhythm, then we can know and to expect for that and then things to do behaviorally to prepare for that. Another one is respiratory rate. Now that can be really helpful with sleep um, because I've actually had some clients that have been able to see that they were falling outside of the normal bell curve for their respiratory rate. And as a result, enough that it had them go to a sleep lab, Or some people have gotten the at-home sleep labs, which certainly are even popping up more in popularity with COVID and um, kind of stay-at-home orders and all those sort of things. So there's lots of ways that we can uh, test to see if there's any sort of sleep apnea present, either mild, moderate, or severe. Uh, And so from that place, you can also then, you know, treat that accordingly. But some of these trackers can actually serve as a nice tip-off to that being um, something to be aware of. Uh, Another thing is even if you don't have sleep apnea, your respiratory rates might not be where you want them to be, either from uh, your health levels or if you're taking certain drugs, um, so things like benzodiazepines um, hypnotics. And then certainly there's some other drugs that will, um, impact that. And one of the most popular ones being alcohol, uh, to shift and raise that respiratory rate, meaning the amount of breaths that you're taking per minute while you're sleeping. And so naturally as, as much as, um, possible within a, within a healthy range, we're looking to, uh, make that a bit easier and having, and slow the breathing while we're sleeping. And also things like anxiety can raise that, um, if you're, you know, so you'll see that shift throughout the course of the time while you're tracking. But all of those things together, we can kind of put together this, I think, fun puzzle. This is my things that I'm into, my levels of fun, uh, to understand what's kind of going on with someone's sleep.
1: Gotcha. Well, I'm glad there's people like you who think it's fun because I'm like, wow, this is a lot of things to keep track of. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's <laughs> but like a going, fun going,
0: puzzle, I think. Yes. But I hear you. Going yes, back a little absolutely.
1: bit with, the, with the, um, the tracking number, like the sleep score that most of these trackers, they're basically taking all of these metrics and making an estimate. Like there's some algorithm that comes up. Yes. With your...
0: Thank you for yeah um, bringing us back to that. So to answer your original question, um. What we tend to currently do is stay within each tracker for the trends that each tracker is pulling for. So depending on the tracker, they might have, for instance, different ways of pulling HRV. There's uh, kind of different metrics that you can utilize with that, um, different source points. There's different algorithms that they're using. A lot of them are proprietary, so we don't quite know exactly what those look like. So the best course of action at the moment is really just to keep them um, kind of gadget uh, independent. And so, So you're uh, just looking at just your trends on one of those and not trying to cross reference too, too much Um, and, and looking to go for some trackers that have had some decent studies behind them, comparing them to polysomnographs so that, you know, that you're not working with something that's um, again, that coin toss effect.
1: Mm -hmm. But in general, if your score is going up, that's probably a good thing. Right. Oh, yes, of yeah. course. Yeah.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Um, so the only reason I was saying the um, looking within the gadget is that I've had some people that really start like, you know, losing it trying to compare, but my whoop says this on my HRV, but then my aura ring says this and my bio says this and my dream says that and blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, so so one. Um, ensuring that none of these uh, things are impacting our our well-being and that we're actually checking in and noticing the trends, to your point, because the trends are really what we're trying to look at, not a day-to-day basis because sleep will is dynamic and you'll have a great night one night, and maybe an okay night the next night, but we're looking for the overarching trends, um, particularly with those biomarkers. So uh you start working out and people can be frustrated because they start working out and their HRV stays the same stays the same but if you come back in 3 months then you and you're continuing to work out then often you'll see this nice gradual um positive shift in your trend so absolutely
1: hmm. yeah the HRV is interesting i i mean only the Oro ring tracks tracks that right like none of the bands do
0: um so whoop um will track uh HRV for you and okay. um yeah, and uh, Biostrap, and uh, so some, and there's some other ones that are looking to come out with that. Apple has a little bit of um, HRV, but they kind of pull it in a different way. So there's different ways that you can pull HRV. Um, so, so, and we do see um, upcoming talk of certain gadgets having upgrades in the future that presumably will have some extra bells and whistles. And even, um, the Fitbit, I believe uh, one of their newer ones, um, is pulling that too. So we're going to start seeing a lot more of HRV for sure. Cool.
1: Cool. Yeah. Cause I'm like, it was a, a huge jump for me to wear a band. Like I really don't sure. want to wear like a, a ring. Um, mm-hmm. but my girlfriend makes fun of me a lot because I never taken, I, I always overtrain. I never take enough rest days. It'd be really good for me to have like a, a score. Sure. Um, but, uh, so about the gadgets, right? There's so many sleep gadgets. I have no idea how many sleep gadgets, um, I, you, got, you got your, blue light blockers, red light. I want to ask you about that, but it seems like overall, like all of these sleep gadgets are trying to get us back to living like cavemen. I mean, yes. is that. Thank yeah. you. <laughs>
0: yes. Oh, you're so good. I, I literally, to, to your point around um, the, the popularity around sleep in this year, particularly like, you know, you're hearing more about it for many people or in this health community. And certainly with um, COVID, This year alone, I've been on like 79 different podcasts on the topic of sleep. That's how crazed, Mm -hmm. um, you know, so and and difficult and unfortunate the sign of the times has been on, um, you know, people really struggling with this area. But few uh, podcast hosts have so uh, eloquently gotten to that point, which is really, despite the fact that we're talking about all this different tech, really what we're looking to do is to kind of create the the environment that was just naturally present to us for thousands of years and really hunter-gatherer days so absolutely
1: so so actually it's a kind of random thing but I, I bought my girlfriend a teepee kind of as an inside joke I won't go into it but it was around the time I started listening to your podcast and I started sleeping in it I mean it's just like a tent in our front yard and I um, love it it was before I had the band. So I actually wasn't tracking my sleep, but I I think it's been, I think I've slept better uh, in the tent versus not the tent. But then I was thinking like with all of these gadgets, I mean, do you recommend this to people if they can get out of the city and then just move on to a farm that'll actually just like solve everything? Uh,
0: Great question. Yes. So, um, we there's certainly some um, pretty interesting studies that have looked at exactly that question and had groups of people um, going into basically camping mode. And so they took them out into the wilderness and then for an extended period of time, they're just living on the rhythms of nature, basically. So being dependent on sunrise and sunset, a little bit of fire. But besides that, what they would find is that even people that were self-proclaimed night owls. Oh yeah. I only go to bed past whatever, midnight, all these things over time, their, um, their sleep latency improved from a perspective of moving back earlier and earlier, uh, their bedtime. And it just sort of was this natural evolution that seemed to happen the same way, you know, you travel internationally and, um, you have a little bit of jet lag, you're a little funky for a few days, but over time, you just sort of naturally adjust to your destination spot. And, uh, what we see for, People, when they live within the rhythms of nature, yeah, it really takes care of a lot of the thinking of this. uh, Because right now, we're trying to hack something because we're so much of these indoor creatures, we're, you know, these zoo animals that have suddenly gone inside and, you know, stats from. Uh, the World Health Organization in 2016 basically cited that the average person was staying inside about 90% of their day and that was 2016. So it's likely post pandemic and all these things that the numbers are even higher of that percentage. And the reason that relates to sleep is that so much of the environment would pull for these rhythms naturally. So if we were to think back on hunter gatherer days, then you would, for most of we were living out within nature. So many of us were sleeping much closer to the ground, if not on the ground, uh, which is cooler. And so that kind of, that's almost the thinking or the thought around, say like a chili pad or um, bed jet or an eight mattress, all these like, you know, fancy things we might bring into cool our sleep environment. It's mimicking pretty much sleeping on the cold ground, essentially. Uh, So we're sleeping on the cold ground and the sun comes up And then so that light acts as the primary cue for our master clock, which is uh, our suprachiasmatic nucleus directly connected to our eyes. And that is taking in the influence around um, of that light and then making meaning of that. And so, okay, stop with melatonin production, shift over to cortisol. But then not only when the sun is present, then of course, when that's there, then what happens, the environment, uh, the temperature warms up in your space. So Then that was the secondary cue, is that the temperature is now warmer. So now, and that impacts the peripheral clocks. Um, So basically within our, um, uh, virtually every cell within our uh, skin has the the photosensory light um, elements so that it can take in light, but it can also sense of course the temperature. And that's another cue of what time it is. So then you have only this extended period of time when light is present. That's when you're doing all this activity. Your body temperature is much higher. You, you know, for most of the day, you're not, certainly not surfing on whatever, you know, you're not on your phone, you're not on your laptop, just sitting sedentary for the most of it. We're outside under that light and then active. So then our body temperature would be nice and high throughout the day. Um, And then when the sun would set then that would serve as kind of that final cue. There's and whenever sun sets, there's that um, presence of infrared light, that pinky element to the sunset. And that's another yeah. cue that tells us, right, it's time for to, you know, um, begin the process of kind of winding down, cooling our body temperature all this was happening naturally. And then when darkness would be present, not only would uh, the, the shift in that darkness produce more melatonin, but then the temperature would be cooler because the sun's gone. So then those two things together and we weren't, we didn't have refrigeration. So we weren't able to just like snack, which is another confusing cue to the body of like, if we're eating, we must need energy. We must be doing something. Uh, So, so not having any of that present, just automated this process. So you didn't have to think about it. Now we want to kind of have our cake and eat it too, have technology, have, you know, temperature controlled spaces or whatever we want. Um, but then how can we kind of marry the two so that, uh, this is more automated. So we don't have to struggle with our sleep so much.
1: Yeah. it's really ironic. Like looking at humanity, like the industrial revolution brought us into cities and messed up our sleep, but then what, con- what has come from that which is like laptop lifestyles is really the only thing that allows you to return <laughs> to nature yes. I mean unless you I mean unless you're just really rich and don't have to work like right. it's funny but the thing that you know like you and I <clears throat> make our income off of our like our screens that that yes. mess up our sleep so it's like how do you very I mean,
0: confusing yeah. thing <laughs> Yeah. It's very paradoxical because, you know, I'm standing here and saying like, Oh, okay. So sleep is a skill in our modern society. It really didn't used to be a particularly much of a skill because for thousands of years, it was just sort of, that was kind of something that was pretty much handled or, uh, you know, there's other stressors that impacted sleep. Certainly if you're under attack, all kinds of other things that, you know, wasn't all fairies and, you know, they certainly didn't have comfy mattresses and all the things that we also take for granted now, but, um, but certainly, the strength, this is the important part, the strength of their circadian rhythm during that period, which can exist. I certainly didn't know this when I couldn't sleep that our circadian rhythm exists on a spectrum and that you can either have a weak circadian rhythm or a strong circadian rhythm. And, you know, so I'm standing here making the argument that many of us, um, certainly in modern society are uh most likely falling somewhere closer to that weak circadian rhythm so all of this is to try to strengthen that but yes still be able to have our tech and you know weak
1: circadian rhythm means like you're not that in sync with the sun is that yes
0: exactly that's really all that means so if our circadian rhythm is this 24-hour rhythm and um and essentially as diurnal creatures we're meant to be active during the day and at rest at night uh so then if your circadian rhythm is kind of out of whack so an example of that would certainly be like shift workers and that's why um they're listed as a possible carcinogenic uh working as a shift worker by the World Health Organization because it so seems to be damaging to your health and well-being uh to be out of that sync uh then when you are out of that sink, then what what's challenging about that is now, uh, certain times that would be so linked up, like in the camping example, it's so clear, like you're outside. It's so bright, you know, you're out in the elements. And then when it's dark, it is dark. Like you can't see a thing. And that's kind of just like, there's no question about it. Whereas in how many of us are living and using myself as an example, I used to wake up late. I would be like tired, zombie dragging. I would not even want to put on much of the lights. I might have a headache or something. And then it's not until later on, I get some coffee, whatever. I'm like dragging around. Uh, And then by the time I'm finally kind of like coming to, then it's time to turn on all the lights in the environment and then shift over into... Evening, but now it's as bright as can be. So it's mismatching for our cues that we're trying to create, because the reason these cues are so important is when these cues are present, there's, uh, the body is really trying to stay like an organized, well-oiled machine. And what it's meant to do is during the daytime hours is, um, having certain amounts of cortisol release, certain uh, hormones are present so that we can take on our day, have the energy uh, that we need. But then shifting into the evening, it just it's, it's really automated when you're in tune with that. So when you have that strong circadian rhythm your heart rate's starting to go down in the evening, uh, you know, the activity in your brain is starting to kind of, you know, just dim and you're just chilling out and it just all kind of works that way. And then melatonin is present. Uh, and then you're able to kind of relax and drift out to sleep. But for many of us, it doesn't quite look like that. And there's much more bleeding into, uh, you know, there's a, a question of the clear divide of day and night.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of like ancient schools of thought like uh, Ayurveda or like Chinese medicine, they have like pretty like strict prescriptions of like an hour before bed, t- before midnight is worth two hours of sleep afterwards or something like that. They have right. all these like dogmatic sayings, which are kind of being confirmed now by science, like many thousands of years later.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's really interesting stuff. So um One of the, a couple of the things that has made even before COVID sleep come up more and more in kind of, uh, you know, articles and, you know, a talking point was one in 2017, um, the Nobel prize had gone to three guys around understanding, uh, circadian rhythm and, uh, kind of its importance. And so getting some attention onto, uh, um, our understanding of of that from a chronobiology perspective, and then the second one um, that was really important was beginning to have more and more of a mass conversation around something that was kind of discovered fairly recently around lymphatic drainage. And so, um, some of us might be familiar with lymphatic drainage, you know, nice massages and what have you. But lymphatic drainage is basically uh, the cleaning out of the brain during sleep and particularly during deep sleep. And the reason that that's important is that every single day we're, you know, just as a process of living, of doing the things that we got to do, we're building up basically um, uh, toxins in our brain and they, but the washed out process, like the janitorial process, like that happens, you know, if you use a building as an analogy, every night the janitors might come in and clean it out. We don't think much of it and you just come back and everything's like sparkling and clean, Well, the brain really is looking to do the same thing while we're sleeping. Um, But what happens is when that doesn't occur, when we're not setting ourselves up for optimal deep sleep, which is in the first half of the night and particularly tends to favor some of those earlier times, um, like you were speaking to in the Ayurvedic element, uh, then the challenge can be that we're not basically super soaking our brain as much with this uh, kind of glymphatic process. So then- the problem seems to be a link up between Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, dementia. So and some of these neurodegenerative diseases, because mm-hmm. we see some comparison of something called amyloid beta plaques. They're just these plaques, hardened plaques that uh, kind of accumulate on the brain. And then it really disrupts with some of our neurological functioning. So when you see, so it seems to be a really um, a correlation that looks pretty clear or something we want to be really mindful of that to facilitate that deep sleep. But if we are having variable sleep schedules, like many of us do nowadays, and we're going to bed later some nights, when you go to bed later, the body still tries to keep on um, keep that sleep architecture fairly consistent. So when you do that, you might be lobbing off some of that deep sleep potential uh, that would have been present if you were going to bed a bit earlier. Same mm. as uh, sh- is true on the flip side of say, Um, You need to get up early or you just happen to wake up and you're up, then that can lob off some of the REM state. So um, rapid eye movement that tends to happen on the later half of the night. So either way, it's how can we um, begin to prioritize the consistency of these sleep schedules so that we're not impacting those. And to your point, some of this is very ancient and uh, has been Uh. talked about for quite some time.
1: So if you sleep too late, you're basically cutting into your brain janitor's work schedule.
0: (laughs) Yes, pretty much. And then that's that's the problem. (laughs) Yeah, it's good to know because that brain janitor, um, so far, kind of like the same concerning part of like, you know, you might have relatives or people that you know um, with things like parkinson's alzheimer's dementia and uh the challenge is that it's it's difficult to go backwards how do you remove that plaque um versus preventative and actually facilitate that happening every single day versus that buildup because we don't quite know how to remove it now um you know lots of other theories but it's it's much harder to do that than it is to um prevent it
1: Hmm. actually uh, have you heard of are you familiar with montauk chia have you heard of him
0: uh, not really. No, Please, he's like uh, he's no. got
1: this like resort, healing resort out of Chiang Mai. Um, but he's got this uh, dark room retreat where you basically live in pitch black for three weeks or one to three weeks, and it's supposed to like have this like crazy healing effect because you actually sleep. People end up sleeping twelve hours a day because there's no light. Um, wow. I was wondering if you've come across things like that, like dark, total dark room.
0: Yeah, so I love that you're saying that. Um, So one, there's a great book called Chasing the Sun um, that I highly recommend that does uh, really in-depth looks at understanding both the power of the sun for our health and well being, vitamin D perspective, but also mood, sleep, circadian rhythm. And then on the flip side of the sun, of course, is darkness and the importance um, of cultivating that. And so they've looked at certain studies where uh, they've gone to great lengths to remove any signs of the time within there to see what will happen for people in darkness around their sleep. Um, and they do find, so in some of these studies, anyway. Um, like one pointed to that, to your point, certainly with almost this effect of uh, sleeping quite like augmented sleep for quite some time. Um, but then over time, if given enough time to be in there, then we seem to still find a rhythm, even within there, it's, it's less clear certainly than the, uh, if we were to have a bright sun and then darkness, but we do start to then have some sort of count on the rhythm. This rhythm is so important to, uh, the body, fun- the body's function, because, you know, even our organs need to have times to sleep, which is an interesting phenomenon. Like, you know, mm. the pancreas needs to kind of sleep quote unquote, at certain times throughout the night, uh, or, or, you know, day, depending on the part of the body that needs to just kind of have some off time. Uh, but so when you have some of these extras, you know, special situations where you're say in total darkness, uh, yeah, it will certainly impact things. Um, uh, people that have become blind, um, experience different, you know, difficulties around their sleep or changes. Uh, so cause light, and this is if, if, People get nothing out of what this, that what I'm saying on any of this, I would want to certainly leave it that um, one of the most impactful ways to improve our sleep quality is to become very, very connected to this light topic because it's the top on one of the main frameworks that we, um, you know, kind of stand in with sleep as a skill is circadian rhythm entrainment, which is something that you can you know, look in a chronobiology text po- textbook or what have you. And the first most important thing is light. So from a, um, a ri- routine perspective, one of the things that we want to do is to start cultivating lots of light during the day, but particularly during the uh, first sp- uh, beginning of your morning. So Dan Party um, is a, a great sleep researcher that had Popularized something called uh, sunlight anchoring. And you want to anchor the timing of when you're exposed to the sun first thing so that you basically wake up, you're exposed to that, and that ceases any of that leftover production of melatonin um, and shifts you into cortisol to kind of take on the day. But that also has a real seemingly formula to when you're going to get sleepy later. So you can use that strategically whether it's, um, jet lag and, or you're trying to stave off jet lag, you know, you need to stay up later for a certain thing, or I work with certain poker players and, uh, they might have tournaments and, um, so needing to help ensure that they're more cognitively alert later and can and not be, you know, kind of drowsy, uh, then we can strategically then expose them to light later on in the day. So you can swing this to however you want to swing that pendulum of your, uh, your sleep. But it very is it very much is dependent on that light first.
1: Hmm. Could, could you speak on, um, you mentioned, I mean, circadian rhythm, but then there's infradian and then ultradian. Uh, could you explain what that is? I saw that in your podcast lists and I was like, I don't know what that word means.
0: Yes. So, um, so looking at some of these different rhythms, essentially um altradian is pulling in some of these other rhythms that we want to be present of so uh for instance if we're looking at the season elements of things so seasons are going to be particularly uh important too for our health and well-being and understanding that um at certain parts of our uh, of, of certain parts of our year. So for instance, this is very present right now for people with sleep is that in the winter months, and I get this question a lot because people are now saying, particularly, you know, I'm in uh, America right now and what we'll see for people is that the sun is setting around four 30, uh, five, you know, depending on where you might be. And then suddenly, uh, they're, they're trying to maintain this awareness of sunrise, sunset, the light, the dark, all these sort of things. Um, but then what do you do? So, so essentially what we're trying to do is, um, allow for more time for sleep in the, in those different types of seasons. So what's important during that period, oh shoot, I'm losing light. Um, during what's important during that period is you want to actually be mindful of, uh, what, uh, how can you cultivate more sleep, during these different types of seasons, also shifting uh, your types of foods that you're eating during that and having them more kind of connected, going back exactly to what you said before around uh, this question around how do we bring this back really to the basics of our sleep as it relates to uh how we were when we were you know hunter-gatherer days so essentially like the foods that we're eating we want to have those mimic the same seasons that we would because it's also on a microbiome level um so the our microbiome is even kind of having this presence and that's acting as yet another cue uh to those rhythms so it's basically getting connected to all of those things and also um uh, further on the rhythms topic, it's, uh, getting connected to moonlight rhythms. So those are even some of those things that will impact, um, from certainly for women that used to be actually one of the things that, I mean, if you really want to get out on, I mean, cause some of these topics get a little out there, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, even just that used to be one of the things that Uh, there was an argument that women were much more linked up in some of their menstruation because of the lunar cycle, essentially. Mm -hmm. Uh, So then that light would be present and that light would influence the times that people would be up a little bit later. And that was actually the root root, um, element of the word lunatic comes from lunar. So all of those rhythms were basically trying to be present of that makes sense.
1: Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, as far as like astrological ish things, like the moon stuff is the only thing. I mean, there's, there's data, that there's more murders and car crashes on, on, uh, full moon nights. And it makes sense if all the women in the world are ovulating, they might as well have a little more light to procreate. I mean, it just yes. makes a lot of sense.
0: It certainly does. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, and also, so going back to, um, you know, this topic of how intricately, um, intimately connected we are to light. So if we had for thousands of years been really evolved from a um, perspective of when the sun would set beyond maybe just some fire, which is very uh, warm, like uh, rich of light. So, but beyond that, we weren't really exposed to much other light besides uh, the moon and the moon can put out a low lux output. Um, and it's similar to, so one of the recommendations, and this is a crazy thing, uh, is that even some of the, uh, key studies and advisors for, uh, NASA for astronauts of how to maintain their circadian rhythm while in space, because the sun is basically rising and setting every about 90 minutes for them, depending on the, um, you know, shuttle or the arc of the, the placement of the shuttle. Um, but essentially, So how do you maintain this 24-hour schedule if the sun is rising and setting every 90 minutes? Well, one of the suggestions, of course, you can't mimic this in a shuttle, but outside of that is uh, candlelight. And the reason being is that it's such a low lux output um, and it's almost reminiscent of if anything else would be moonlight. Uh, So we're trying to mimic that. And so of course, astronauts can't necessarily have uh, candlelight in space, but what they can have is dynamic lighting. And so they go to great lengths to really ensure that that's kept super, super on schedule. Um, that dynamic lighting versus static lighting and static lighting is what many of us kind of have going on in our, you know, in our little old apartment or hunkered down for COVID or on lockdown or whatever life might look like. And we might just kind of have the same type of lights on, throughout the most of the day, and then you go to bed and you just sort of turn those off like shortly before. And that's so quote unquote, static lighting um, can be really detrimental for our melatonin production. So when they'll measure uh, melatonin, and I'm actually just uh, in the process of measuring my cortisol and melatonin, um, uh, for a couple different companies to get a sense of, you know, just the arc of that throughout the course of the day. Uh, but you know, that's something you can vary. It's very measurable. And we see that it's very much influenced just by that one element, even forgetting the temperature thing.
1: Hmm. And you you check that by blood or saliva or how
0: Yeah. So that one right now for me, so I have, um, biohazard, uh, bags in my refrigerator right now of little vials of saliva. Um, so you're spitting into that, Uh, throughout the course of the day. So, um, but then you could also do um, one popular one is called the Dutch test. And that one is um, basically a dried urine analysis test. And so basically you pee on a stick a bunch of times throughout the day to see the arc of your cortisol and seeing, you know, certainly um, for me, when I wasn't sleeping, my cortisol was going up closer to bed, which is the exact opposite of what you want to do. And so you know, kind of good luck sleeping if your cortisol is going up right around then. So we're trying to optimize for that, but yeah, there's, and there's certainly a lot of different companies that are coming out, um, to help make this testing element of things a bit easier and then also gamified. So then you test once, but then you start bringing in different behavioral changes or environmental changes, um, then measure again and then see what your, um, what the difference can be in a couple months later.
1: Gotcha. Um, so as far as like things for a person to do, I'm sure there's, there's so many and I'm sure that it's, I'm sure you customize to a certain degree for every client, but what do you, what do you do? Especially as a business owner, it seems that the number one thing that kills sleep, if you work for yourself is, is like the productivity thing, right? Like a lot of work, if, if you have an online business is on the screen, maybe yes. you work late at night, whatever. Um, so I see you're in a red room right now. Could you share like what your lifestyle is like right now?
0: Yes. Great question. So I will say for me, um, this actually ended up in a lot of ways, not to be cheesy, but setting me free from my, um, (laughs) obsessive ways as an entrepreneur, because what, um, what this brought for me was a bit of, um, balance to my life, I guess you could say. Uh, so what I mean by that in practicality is that, um, really aiming to make my days, um, almost like the Amish, you know? So you're like, you have only a certain number of hours of sunlight. And then, so you're kind of working and that's like the ultimate productivity hack because you know that you don't have, um, all day, which used to be how I would think of mm. my, my days that I could work all day into the night and blah, blah, blah. And yet this way, um, I'm looking to mainly get the bulk of my things done before sunset And of course there might be situations where, you know, you're still kind of spilling over into post sunset. And, um, so, so with that one, we want to control the light element of things. So I use things like, um, Iris is a nice, uh, tool on your laptop and it will change your laptop to all red. Um, and you know, that's in the nighttime. So it makes you'd be surprised how infinitely less fun your computer is when it's all red. Um, and so the excitatory dopamine hits that come from blue light, um, which are, you know, certainly studied of, uh, that effect and the kind of addicted effects that, um, you know, the, the blues and greens have for us is not present with that. Uh, so you can use that, but you can also, so one of the ways that I try to, um, speak about it being like day mode and night mode. So for, night mode. Uh, well first for day mode, you're kind of, that's your active period throughout the time throughout the day. Um, also taking on like cognitively, uh, heavy loads. So also those things that might be stressing us out, training ourselves to either handle it, think about it, take, um, actions on those things that we might be ruminating on, uh, previously And you know, while we're laying in bed or what have you, we're taking action during the day, but then, um, aiming to really start from a pathlothian perspective, training ourselves that when darkness is present, uh, that basically we're that's becomes the time for kind of like rest and relaxation. Um, another cue for that, and I think probably one of the other things that's out of the norm um, that we'll do is. One, certainly queuing up when the sun's setting, say putting on the blue blockers and uh, really shifting over the lighting in the space to, you know, red light or candles or what have you, very dim. Um, And so that kind of takes care of it in a lot of ways because you're physiology then is now being guided by the environment. And, um, so I'll track things like my HRV, like I have one gadget called the leaf. Um, so it's basically like right over my heart throughout the course of the day. And I'll notice too how, um, you know, when I'm really queued up on these things that in the evening that my heart rate is coming down nicely, but that also is facilitated by meal timing which mealtime is a really interesting one for, um, circadian rhythm and for that, you know, that process. So we'll try to aim to end our last meal, uh, nice and early. So what that looks like, um, I like early time restrictive feeding, which really has you ending your last meal around pretty aggressively early. It's probably not practical for a lot of people, but it's like two, three, uh, Three thirty-four around, you know, throughout that time zone. Um, but for the more a bit a livable approach, would be like the five or six. And the reason that that's important is that again, since that glucose acts on a circadian rhythm, then um, you're not having some of the extra spiking that can happen because the body's ability to kind of handle that later on in the evening can be uh, a challenge. And so um, during that period, you can essentially um, shift over to uh, having a more stabilized blood sugar if you're moving your meal timing earlier. Uh, so we look to do that and then that kind of helps with the fasting. So then the evenings then really look much more like relaxing, you know, um, the, the lights are present, then lowering of the temperature in the space. Um, and then also being mindful of something, uh, that we refer to as thought timing. So, you know, certainly just from a pragmatic perspective that obviously you're not putting on like you know, horror movies or something, um, thrillers, all that sort of stuff that might be a little, um, uh, charged, but the thing that's on the thought timing thing that I think is really interesting, there's one gadget called Ebb EBB, and that one will cool your prefrontal cortex and essentially, well. um, Yeah. So strap it to your head is
1: that you
0: strap it to your head. Yeah, exactly. And one of the reasons I'm not saying everyone needs to get the ebb or anything, but I often reference that one because um, they have some interesting um, clinical trials around the efficacy of that from a perspective that uh, chronic insomniacs tend to have trouble um, regulating, or they'll find that the brain matter being a, a bit warmer than someone that's able to easily fall asleep. And so the thinking of that is that just with that overactivity in the brain, that it's um, a mismatch for being able to kind of rest, you know, go off into sleep. So it, it's really, I think, very interesting because it helps you, or at least certainly, um, I think it can lend to giving more reverence or respect for um, the effects on a physiological level to our thoughts um, and just how they can actually heat us up or cool us down. So being mindful of those. And so there's other processes that you can certainly bring into your evening to kind of cultivate lighter um, type of thoughts.
1: That's really fascinating. It's like you could actually chill your thoughts. Like you could literally chill, chill your brain.
0: Oh my God, no one has said it like that. But yes, actually chill your thoughts, exactly. Um, and I think what's really helpful that there, you know, there's other gadgets like the muse headband is meant to be like a group guru in your pocket is kind of their saying, um, that's supposed to, when you're meditating, kind of guide you back. If you've gone off course, um, it's kind of, you know, nudge you back, but it's doing it from a, um, Uh, perspective on on your brain. So it's basically reading the elements of where your brain um, activity is at, and then helping to kind of calm that down. Um, And only actually just like last week, I want to say they just released, um, their sleep tracking element of that. And so they're in the midst of some, uh, some different trials to start comparing their, uh, stats to polysonogram. So that's, and so I think we're really on the precipice of, you know, hearkening back to your kind of original, some of your original questions around these sleep trackers. Um, I do foresee that some of these in the future will have more accuracy. And, um, you know, as it relates to, where is our brain at from a uh, kind of Hertz output and one tracking that before bed, because it's really challenging to go into that um, dream state into an in unconscious really kind of state of sleep if you're all activated. Uh, so we can help yeah. train that.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is my last question. Actually, it's funny. It's reminding me like I used to be really into traditional martial arts and there's this like uh, guru guy that I used to follow who taught like Filipino weapons fighting and he would... Put his hand on someone's head, and if their forehead was too hot, he wouldn't train them. He was like, "Oh, like yeah, your mind is scattered." I was like, "It seems what? like such bullshit. <laughs> Maybe oh there's God. something." Yeah,
0: that's so interesting. Wow, I've never heard that, but that certainly is in alignment with this, and it, the fact that there's, um, you know, that they've gone through the process of these studies to kind of validate, um, you know, the findings of that. That's you know, that seems like kind of that, um, back to that ancient wisdom, if you will.
1: Yeah. Cool. So last question, I actually meant to ask you this earlier, but um, so when I did have trouble sleeping in my life, I've had periods of insomnia. It's always been from thinking too much, which, which yeah. we're talking about now. Is there any, like, besides chilling your brain, yes. uh, literally, <laughs> is there? Is I mean, I'd imagine this is probably a big topic that comes up with people who can't sleep. Like, do you have any mindfulness tips or like, does is, is this become a big part of the sleep hacking process?
0: Yeah. So one of the things that, um, So what I like to do with people is more address the days first from a perspective of, um, because one of the things that can be challenging is if we're setting up our whole day in a way that's off alignment, it's out of alignment with those rhythms that we were speaking to that kind of, if we do live in alignment with those to as much as possible, obviously we're not all going to, like we said, move off into the woods or something, but within our day-to-day life, um, live within alignment, with those rhythms, a lot of this gets taken care of. And the activity of the brain tends to calm, you know, I'll see this for myself. I'll still, no matter I'm doing, I'm talking about sleep day in, day out. And I'll still, there be certain nights where, Oh, let me just finish this one uh, email or something and then uh, the correlation between those type of nights and then my uh difficulty with sleep latency versus all the other when i know to do all the things it just sort of happens naturally um so and so the reason i say this is that it can help with um when we are in those hyper aroused state and we you know might be ruminating or stressing a bit more than we might normally If we uh, don't think about it until we get into bed, then we can often be kind of set up in a way that's not as powerful as it could be. So if we end, it can also add to that stress level because then it's like, okay, will myself to sleep, make myself fall asleep, like that. Mm -hmm. And then whenever we put that sort of pressure, it's like that Chinese finger trap and you're kind of just like stuck in there. And the harder you try to fall asleep, then the more stuck you are. Um, And yet what tends to, if, if we... First, address all of those other things, right? And then we've got them outside first thing in the morning, getting that morning sunlight. They're, you know, um, active throughout the day. They've got the body temperature up. Their exercises moved to earlier in the day. We might have them doing things like cold therapy, heat therapy, like saunas, um, uh, you know, certain types of foods that they're eating, the meal timing, uh, all of these things, right? And then, um, and then if they're still having some of those troubles before bed um, and and this can certainly be an alignment. We want to set up, um, within a few hours before the bedtime. And also this depends on the level of stress that many people are under. If we need a little bit more time to kind of wind down, um, you know, so kind of, you know, situationally dependent, um, but really setting up those powerful end. um, uh, routines or rituals to our day can be super, super effective. And there's de- decent studies where almost the same way with like sleep training for kids um, or, you know, babies or what have you, we have lots of cues. So, okay, now we like, we sing the lullaby, we do the petting, we do the lights, or, you know, all these things. I, I do not work with kids or do any of those no. sort of things in case that wasn't um, obvious, but so we do, but we do the same thing for adults. Now, the other thing that's really important is, uh, breathing. And, uh, so from that perspective, again, since I have kind of a nerdy, uh, edge to my content that I don't get too, too much into the meditation, which can be so valuable, but I bring it in from a, um, literal perspective where you can actually watch the impact. And for some people, I think just the why can help them. Uh, when we see if you're, if you're watching your heart rate, when we do some of these, um, breath work. So a really easy one is like box breathing. I'm, you know, so like the, and a lot of Navy SEALs, uh, or will speak to just being able to utilize this because it's both Easy and visual. So you're kind of visualizing. So one of the examples is like four, four, four. So breathing in for four, you trace the side of the box, holding for four, you trace the top of the box, breathe out for four, trace the side of the box, hold for four, trace the bottom of the box, and then you just keep doing it. Um, and the whole point of that is that if we're slowing, um, the breathing, extending the out breath, then that lowers the heart rate. So for certainly like my more nerdy folks that want to be able to see, okay, what really happens is this just like woo woo, just breathing, or can I actually see an effect? You can totally see an effect, uh, which I think can be really empowering because then you can sort of see, wait a minute, if I shift my breath and extend that out, breath, then I can literally watch the heart rate go down. Cause again, the out breath is when our heart rate goes down and the in breath is when our heart rate goes up. So you want to try to extend that. So some great resources for that are, um, uh, breath, um, uh, the book by, uh, James Nestor or, uh, the oxygen advantage. Uh, so a couple of those are kind of good starting places to kind of learn some of these habits because certainly if we're going into an anxious state or if cortisol levels are a little heightened or what have you, the breath can be a nice antidote to that. And then another thing we can do is, um, and that has some studies behind it is uh, gratitude. And that, again, I don't know if that can land, certainly the old me that like, okay, give me the goods would say like gratitude. Oh my God. But uh, there's some decent studies from positive psychology of the impact of that as a nightly ritual and then to be able to help augment sleep time. So I've been doing a daily practice where every uh, day I email, I'm on day like 2,200 and something of daily gratitude emails to friends and family and just kind of help stay accountable and doing that process each night. And then I'll do it um, with my boyfriend at the end of the night and it kind of can help To shift the or reframe your day and going into your night into a positive space.
1: Yeah, it'd be really interesting if these bands could like give you a gratitude score. It's like, oh, you're only eighty two percent grateful today.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Who knows? It doesn't
1: seem that crazy. Um,
0: It's no, it doesn't.
1: (laughs) Cool. Well, Molly, thank you so much. I mean, so much great information. Um, Definitely gonna recommend. I've been recommending your podcast to people because sleep is so important. Um, Where can people find out more about your work?
0: Uh, well, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to speak about my favorite topic. It means a lot. And um, yeah, so they can find it, uh, sleepisaskill.com really acts as a nice kind of bucket of all the things. So on there, you can get... Um, both the newsletter, so we do a weekly newsletter every Monday, um, and you can also get a free uh, downloadable PDF called the Optimized Bedroom, so it's both low-tech and high-tech things that you can do to improve your space. Um, Then we have the podcast. We also have a sleep assessment on there, so you can get kind of live, uh, real-person feedback on your sleep, and then if you are looking for added kind of accountability or know-how around your sleep, then there's a couple different offers. Um, whether it's one-on-one small groups and then in the new year we'll be launching um, an online course component of that and then we're doing some kind of um, uh, test runs too around some shortened kind of sprints around your sleep too in the new year so lots of things um, to keep you in that conversation.
1: Awesome yeah I'm glad because like I I had no idea there's so much to sleep. I'm really glad that there's one place I could find everything. (laughs) So I will continually be tracking your stuff.
0: That makes me so happy. Yes. And also we're very um, collaborative because, you know, this is, uh, still in a lot of ways a newer frontier the really popular book why we sleep by Matthew Walker came out um, within the last few years and still the point with that book was there's still a lot of questions around why we sleep um, some of the things that we can do to improve that so any th- like experiments that people are running around their sleep things that they find are working or not working um, please always feel free to you know share that um, certainly with the weekly email or weekly newsletter uh, we like to have a a lot of feedback from people to kind of get insights and often cite what people are up to in the newsletter.
1: I'll share I'll share more about my my tent experiment maybe yes I
0: love it absolutely please keep it coming that stuff is so cool and the more we can have kind of fun with it and be experimenting with it versus for many of us you know if we're not experimenting or playing then it might be resignation or a sense that we can't make a difference with it or what have you and um what you're demonstrating is so wonderful because it's there's so much we can continue it's dynamic it's going to keep changing in our life so um what can we do to make a difference with it. Awesome.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks.
0: Well, thank you. I appreciate the time.